I hope it's yours. And uh, this is a highlight of our week, so welcome to you. I'm a little intimidated with all this intelligence up here. You know, I hear of all these degrees, one in ling linguistics, I can't even say the word, and, and uh, computer science and all these things. Wow, what a, what a uh, smart bunch of kids we have, don't we? You know why they're smart? Because they have smart parents, right? <laughs> so congratulations. Um, this is a special day for John and Karen, and uh, I know he has some things he wants to share. So we're gonna we're gonna do a tag team this morning, okay? So uh, I kind of grew up around some primitive Baptist churches, and they'd have four or five preachers, and and they'd preach for hours and hours. Now we're not going to do that this morning. We we we're a little bit more focused than that, but we do have some things that we want to share today. Welcome to our guests. Uh, we have a number of people who just dropped in this morning. Where's Larry Watson, who used to be? Larry, are you back there somewhere? Yeah, wait. Okay, just stepped out. Welcome to you guys. And uh, uh, the Shanks this morning, welcome to you. Some others who just dropped in. Maybe you're here for the first time, and we're, we're just glad to see you. If you're online this morning with us, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy worship, but we'd love to have you come and join us in person sometime if you can. Well, I have had the privilege of graduating a few times. Uh, the first time I graduated, I wasn't sure I was going to make it through, honestly, uh, but uh, I did. And after that, a few years, I found a different purpose in life. And God called me into ministry, and I went away to Bible college, and uh, my reasons for studying and uh, were totally different. So I can relate to you this morning with your... Uh, feeling of accomplishment and graduating. And by the way, in the, in the state of Virginia, I think these are the latest statistics, about 91% of people graduate from high school now. So if you graduated from high school, you're already way ahead of some people. Uh, and about 41% uh, in Virginia get a college degree. I was surprised it was that high. They have all the states listed and Virginia is number eight. So I thought that was interesting. And then if you have a postgraduate degree, you're really in the elite group, 18%. And if you go to the doctoral level, it's much, much lower than that. So I think we need to give them a hand for their accomplishment this morning one more time. And uh, so congratulations. Uh, I have watched the families of our graduates, and I would say to you congratulations as well, because you have supported them in lots of ways. So. Uh, I know you're seeing a sense of fulfillment this morning and, and pride, the right kind of pride in their achievement. So thank you. Okay, I heard a couple of graduation messages this year on the graduate level. One was pretty good. The other one was a little embarrassing. Uh, I, I won't tell the school. Uh, but a high-level person from Tesla was giving the graduation address and basically uh, she talked about how she and her husband met at a keg party at, the, at her alma mater which she was speaking at and went on to there were a few bits of advice in there that were pretty good and then I heard another one and there, there were some good there was some good information there but I didn't hear one word from God's Word or even a reference to God at all and I, I go to 
to graduation sometime, I, I think of how arrogant we are that we take all the credit and don't give God the credit for our intellect, for our ability, for the knowledge that we have. It all comes from Him. He's the source. And so this morning as I was thinking about what to share, uh, this passage came to mind, and I'm going to read it here for you real quick. And we're in Philippians, if you'd like to, to turn there. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul was an educated man. He was a man of achievement. But when he met Jesus, his life totally changed. And that's what this passage is about. If you read the first six verses of Philippians chapter 3, it's a before, and then here's the after. I won't take time to read the before, but you can read it for yourself sometime. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, but what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And listen to his humility. Not that I have already attained or am or uh, already perfected. Let me catch up here. Um, sorry about that. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, and this is good advice, but it's more than advice. This is a biblical truth. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, I'm just jumping all over the place here. I apologize. I'm going to read you the last two verses, which aren't on the screen. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. You know the uh, pictures you see of people who have makeovers? You know, you see the before and the after, and it's dramatic, and it's, it's a glamour shot, and... Well, this is a before and after of the Apostle Paul's life. You go back and you read chapter 3, the first several verses, and you can do that later on, and he talks about his self-righteousness. He talks about he, he was a religious Jew, and he kept the law, and, and he was proud of himself. And then when he met Jesus, his life changed totally. That's the makeover in Paul's life. So verses 7 16, through 16 are after Christ. Okay, You could say chapter 3, 1 to 6 is before Christ. Then the, the verses I just read are after Paul met Christ. One of the key words that he uses in this passage is the word count. Three times he says, I count. 
I count, I count not myself. The, the idea of, of uh, that word count is this. It's an assessment. It's an evaluation of his life. Paul is thinking about his life. And there are good times to do that. Any time is a good time to do that in life. But especially when you reach milestones like you guys have reached. You begin to look at your life and you, you think about where you've been. You think about where you want to be. You think about where you're going and you can do this at any point in life, but it's especially important to do it while you're younger. You know, you're at an exciting time of life. Here you are, the whole uh, future before you, as far as you know, as, as the Lord wills. And now is, a time, now is a strategic time for you to think about your relationship with God and to think about His call and His, His hold on your life. He owns you. You're not your own. He owns you. And so... Paul is evaluating his spiritual life here. He's, he's been through a crossroads. And it's a good time to look back, but not too much. He says, you know, there were things Paul was ashamed of. Self-righteousness. He was a zealot. He actually persecuted real believers. And then he met Jesus, and his life changed. And I'm sure Paul had lots of regrets, and he talks about that. You know, the regrets of life, the sins of life, the things that are in the past, if you're a believer, are under the blood of Jesus Christ. He will never bring them up again, and neither shall we. we should, neither should we. Sometimes we do. But Paul's thinking about it. He's counting his life. Think of it like this. When you take a test, what are you doing? Well, you're going back to see how much you can remember of, of, of what you've studied or what you didn't study sometimes. So here, Paul's testing his life. He's thinking about his life, and he's digging down deep to see what his life is really all about. So this morning, uh, the, the message is entitled Core Values. It's a good time for you to uh, think about your life and what is really important to dig down deep and say, these are the things that are important to me. Now, I've already shown you point number one. What I was going to do was have you think about your life and write down the things that are most critical to you. So you can do that if you'd like to. And this is not just for graduates and young people this morning. This is for all of us, uh, from, from parents to grandparents to great-grandparents. What is really important in my life? Paul boiled it down to three things in his life. Um, I want to challenge you this morning with your core values. But here, here are Paul's. First of all, after he met Christ, his life changed. He had new core values. The first one was that I may be found in him. Verse number 9. Not having my own righteousness. Paul was a self-righteous person before he met Jesus. And of course, when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, what happened? He, he fell to his knees, and he was humbled, and he realized, I am nothing in myself. I am nothing compared to God. And so, as, as Paul began his walk with the Lord, and as he continued his walk with the Lord, he says, the most important thing, the most important core value in my life is that I may be found in Him, in Jesus. Now, we're either in Adam, the old man, or we're either in Jesus, the new man. And this is a great time to look at your life, wherever you are, and say, 
Am I still the old man? The man created in sin and the man who uh, is controlled by the flesh? Or has my life been changed so that I'm a new man, that I am now in Christ, and that I am found in Him and His righteousness, not my own? What a contrast in the life of Paul. He tried to keep the law very uh, zealous uh, to the point of persecuting others who didn't agree with him. And now his life has been changed and he says the most important thing to me no longer is my self-righteousness, but the righteousness which I received from Christ Jesus the day that I believed. And that's what salvation is. We lay aside our self-righteousness and we take the righteousness of Jesus. And as John has said many times, that's how righteous you have to be to get to heaven, is as righteous as Christ himself. Can any of us attain that? Absolutely not. Only by faith in what Christ has done. So graduates and everybody else here, make sure you're in him. Not in your self-righteousness, which is worthless. Make sure you're in Christ. But that's just the beginning. You know, sometimes people get saved and they think, okay, I'm going to heaven and I'm just, I'm, I'm done. No, that's just the beginning with, of the spiritual life, the Christian life. See, when Paul met Jesus, he had a new desire. He had a new hunger. And that hunger was to know Jesus better. To know him better today than he knew him yesterday. To know him better tomorrow than he knew him today. And I don't care how long you've walked with God, if your desire is to know Him more on a daily basis, you grow in that relationship with Him no matter how long you've been saved. And that's, that's God's goal in your life, to make you more like Jesus. That's His will for you. So uh, He wanted to know Jesus. Now how do you get to know somebody? Well, you spend time with them, don't you? You want to know somebody better, you, you spend time with them. You find out who they are and what they're about, what they're thinking. Not to oversimplify our walk with the Lord, but it's the same way. To get to know Jesus, we have to spend time with Him. Spend time in His Word. We listen to Him and then we pray to Him and He listens to us and we have a personal relationship. And it's, it's a relationship that grows over time. And for those of you who are graduating who know the Lord, and I hope we all do, that's just the beginning. We have a lifetime of learning and getting to know Jesus, that I may know Him. That was Paul's second core value. And here's a third. Now this one is really challenging. You know, when we trust Christ, God does everything for us that we can't do for ourselves. Then we become a believer and it's our uh, desire and should be our goal to get to know Him better. But then we come to the point of really pleasing God. By the way, that's not before salvation, that's after salvation. We can't please God in our flesh, in our self-righteousness. But now that we're saved and we begin to make decisions based upon who we are and what we know, every day we should ask ourselves this question. Lord, what would please you today? What would you have me to do today? Who would you have me uh, to, to speak with today? Who are you going to bring across my path? And, and what would you have me say and what would you have me do? And Lord... Uh, 
beginning this day, I want to say to you that I want to please you. Now, there's two parts to this. Um, that I may please him. Uh, let's see which verse I'm in here. If by any means, not, not that I've already attained, verse 12, or already perfected, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid a hold of me. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, uh, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize. There's two parts to pleasing the Lord. One is forgetting the past. See, He doesn't want you to carry your guilt and your shame into your new life with Christ because when we do, we say to God, you're not able to change me from what I was. You know, it took a lot of humility for Paul to allow God to change him. He was proud and self-righteous. He was proud of what he attained, proud of what he did, proud of his self-righteousness. But when he was humbled, at, uh, when he met Jesus, all that went away. And now he had to look back on his previous life with regret, but he had to leave it with God and say, Lord, I'm ashamed of what I was, but I'm not what I used to be, and so I lay all that behind. So you want to glorify God in your Christian life, forget the past, believe Him that it's all under the blood of Christ and He will never bring it up again. So forgetting what is behind, but striving for what is ahead. What is ahead? Well, ultimately heaven is ahead, right? Ultimately, Paul wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to be with Him, and, and when he stood before Jesus... He wanted to hear the words, well done. That's his new walk in the Christian life. That's not a, a person trying to please God by doing good works before they're changed in their heart, but it's a person afterward who now realizes what God has done and says, the rest of my life, this is my goal, to please Him. I used to have a young lady that worked for me when I was down at Piedmont. And by the way, I've seen a lot of graduations and a lot of people's lives changed by the word and, and they're serving people all over the world. But this one girl impressed me so much. Her name was Jennifer. And she was a receptionist for the school. And she had on a three by five card two words. Please him. And I was so convicted by that and so impacted by that. Here I was, a, a lot older than her, and she was a student, and she was seeking God's will for her life, but she had those two words, please Him. And I've often thought, that pretty much boils the Christian life down, doesn't it? Please Him. If, if each day we could begin our day and just say to the Lord, Lord, I want to do what pleases you today. I don't want to do anything that displeases you today. I want to be so close to you and walk with you so that I'm sensitive to your word. I know what pleases you and I know what doesn't please you. And so I think this was Paul's highest goal. You know, Jesus had done for him what he couldn't do for himself and he was getting to know him in his Christian life. But when you boil it all down, 
two words, please him. Now, thank you, preacher, for telling me that. Now, how do I go about that? Well, let me see if I can give you some biblical advice this morning. The first way to please God is to stay close to God. Now, I want to tell you graduates something. You're at the most exciting point in your life, but you're also at the most dangerous point in your life. You say, why is it dangerous? Because you're getting ready to step out and make your own decisions. Now, I hope you've already made a lot of good decisions because uh, those decisions early in life will carry you through life. But once you step out of mom and dad's home and, and you're on your own, you're going to begin to make decisions for your own. It's a great time. It's an exciting time. I think you're going to make great decisions based upon who you are and what you've been taught, but it's also a dangerous time. I meet college students all over this area and when I go to a restaurant I like to find are you a student yes what's your major and then my question is can I ask you something personal well yeah I said did you grow up in church oh yeah we went to church the majority of them will say yeah I said well let me ask you this are you involved in church now oh no you know I probably haven't been to church in four years and I just want to cry because Apparently, they had parents who took them to God's house, who taught them that it was important, but then they've gotten to, to college and they've just kind of forgotten it. Now, not all of them, but it's amazing how many go away and their whole life changes, not for the better. So it's a dangerous time. It's also an exciting time for you. So I don't mean to be down on your generation. As a matter of fact, I see a passion, a true passion, in the younger generation that other generations don't have. And I'm hoping that you're going to be the generation that's going to rise up and serve God and worship God better than my generation has. So I'm praying that that will be true. But the decision is yours. Here's some good advice. It's biblical advice. Stay close to God. There's so many things that will pull you away from Him. You're smart. You know. You can recognize those. Just look at people around you. Look at their lifestyle. And say to yourself, I don't want to go there. I want to stay close to God. Second bit of advice I would give you is this. Stay close to your family. I know what you're thinking, some of you. I can't wait to get out of the house. Well, let me tell you this. Mom and Dad can't wait for you to get out of the house either. <laughs> but we want you to come back. And we want you to want to come back. Don't, don't abandon your family. Please don't do that. I know situations are difficult. Last Sunday I preached, no home's perfect. No parent's perfect, no child. But I want to tell you, family is important. Family is critical. Family ties your roots. Don't abandon that. Don't ab Stay close to your family. And lastly, but this is not last, stay close to a church family. It might be this one, it might be another one.
But do not do what so many in your generation are doing. Just walking away from God. Just abandoning God. Just going out in this world and forgetting that God exists. There's so many who are doing that. You know what I'm talking about. You know people who make bad decisions and they just, it just takes them away from God. Please don't walk away from your church family because I want to tell you something. You need your church. You need a church family. But there's another part to that. The church family needs you. We need your passion. We need your excitement. We need your youth. We need your energy. We need you to buy into what God is doing and to get active and be a part of it. So wherever you go, plug into a church family. Stay plugged in. Don't... You miss one Sunday, it's easy to miss two. You miss four Sundays, it's easy to miss eight. I mean, you know how bad habits are. Bad habits are just like good habits. It takes a while to form one, but once you've formed it, it sticks with you. So here's some good advice, I hope, for you. Stay close to God. Stay close to your family. Stay close to a church family somewhere. And not to end on a negative note, but I want to make this impact. So the first part's positive, right? You're at the most exciting time of your life. We're excited for you. We're excited to see what God is going to do. But you're also at a dangerous time in your life, and we pray for you. We hope you will continue to walk with God and make decisions that would please Him. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for these young men and women who have worked hard, achieved. They're intelligent. They're sharp. Their minds are the best, the sharpest they'll ever be. And we're so thankful that uh, you have led them to, to pursue education or work or whatever they're going to do. And we pray for them. We're excited for them. But Father, we also fear the world because we know what the world is like. Many of us spent way too much time in the world. And we look back and we wish we had walked with God at a younger age. And here are these young people with that opportunity to walk with you from today until the day they see Jesus face to face. That is your will for their life. And we pray that they would follow you and that they would think about Paul's life and his core values, your core values, and that we would pursue what you would want us to pursue so that we might please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I asked Karen if I should quit, and she said that y'all didn't get but half of your money's worth, so <clears throat> very quick. David, hand me that silly hat, okay? <clears throat> let, me, let me teach you all a lesson. You know why they designed this hat, by the way? Anybody ever watched a bricklayer? Okay, so that's actually designed after a brick mason where he puts his mortar on the hat and then puts it on the brick. You can research it if you don't believe me. Some of you are looking at me funny. But it was a, a proof that education and learning is hard work. And let me tell you something. When you really apply yourself and you really dig, it is tough tough work. It's some of the hardest work you'll ever do is stretching your mind. So that was a good hat 
and a good symbol, but we're not sure what it means, right? There's a second thing I want to teach you, and that is, when we say the word alma mater, this is my alma mater, what does that mean? Christiansburg is my alma mater. Georgia is my alma mater. Virginia Tech is my... It's a Latin word, which means nursing mother. It's who nursed you. It's who taught you. It's who fed you. Who brought you up. And a lot of people are drinking from the wrong springs. And Brian mentioned, sometimes we have a lot of commencements and nobody mentions God's word. How unfortunate. He talked to the people of Jeremiah's day and said, What nation has changed its gods even though they are really not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and be shocked, be utterly desolate, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out for themselves broken cisterns that can't hold water. The picture is this, going to drink out of stagnant water or going to drink out of a spring. If we want living water, we have to go to God's Word. And He teaches us what we should do. And just a couple of points from this little passage in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding or don't rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Four key words here and I just want to point them out to you quickly. Trust him. What does that mean? It means always remember that God is bigger and smarter than you or anyone else. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, a lot of people ridicule God. Listen to this quote. But when their tongues lie silent in the grave, God's truth still speaks. And so what we have to do, as Brian's already mentioned, is read and know Him, trust His Word so we can have His wisdom. And when we start to lean somewhere else, we better lean into God. He can be... He can be our support, and that's what this idea is, to have confidence, to place full assurance in God. Trust in the Lord. But then he makes a second point. Lean not on your own understanding. What does that mean? It means simply this. Don't ever think that you or your friends or your gurus or anybody with a Ph.D. or 500 degrees is smarter than God. God has the final word. And you know, when God's word is put to the test, it may take it a while to prove itself to be true, but ultimately, let God be true and every man found to be a liar. God is truthful. He tells the truth. A third point, learn to give your worries to God. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In other words, quit fretting and worrying about life and instead, entrust that to God. First Peter chapter 5, Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Trust Him. Acknowledge Him. Don't lean on your own understanding. Give Him your worries. And then finally, learn to wait patiently. Listen to what that passage said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he what? He shall direct your path. Now listen to me, and listen carefully. We want everything now. We want to know our career. We want every answer. We want the highest. We want this. We want that. Stop that. Quit thinking that life happens in a moment. Or a week. Or a month. Or a year. Or two years. And I read this quote. Waiting seasons are never wasted seasons. When you don't know what to do, wait. Don't jump into something half-cocked and half-crazed. Be patient. Learn to wait patiently. The world will not stop turning if our decision is not made or met now. What should I do? You know, it's the craziest thing. We expect kids at 18 and 19 years of age to have everything figured out. It drove me nuts when people come up to me when I was 18. What are you going to do for you? I have no clue. I, I'm just trying to get through. Well, what are you, where are you going to go? What are you going to? Just overwhelmed. It's like this is the most major decisions that you could ever make in your life. And somehow we expect an 18-year-old to have 50 years of wisdom infused in their mind. Back off. Back off, mom and dad. Back off, grandparents. You know, have a general plan for your life and have a direction. But you know what? Don't let anybody push you into something that you don't want to do. Because it's your life and you have to live it. And you're the ones going to have to get up every morning and go to work to do what God called you to do, not what somebody forced you to do. And make sure you enjoy what you want to do. That doesn't mean work is always enjoyable. They call it work for a reason. But don't be squeezed into something just for a paycheck. And don't be squeezed into something just because somebody puts unexpected pressure on you, forcing you to do something that you're not called to do. You're your own man and your own woman. And Brian is right. You have to make your own decisions. But stop thinking you have to make a 50-year-old decision at 18. You don't. And by the way, you can change your mind. You start down one path, you're waiting on the Lord, you say, Lord, I'm going to take a step unless you direct me, and you start taking a step, and then God points you in another direction. Don't be afraid to change directions. Don't be afraid to change careers. Don't be afraid to change a path. Maybe that's God's intention to broaden your horizon. That's exactly what happened in my life, and I didn't know what was going on. And I started down one road that I thought God had me on, and he gave me seven years of wonderful experience. And then when I got seven years down the road, he turned the path in a completely different direction. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't care what anybody says. The older you get, the harder it is to make a decision or a change. And the more difficult it is to find out exactly what you should be doing. So don't be afraid to change a course when you're younger. Now some good advice that gathered over the years very quick. Learn to ask lots of questions instead of making statements. That's one good to write down. Ask questions instead of making statements. 
Always be honest with yourself and others. Tell the truth. Third, learn from criticism, but don't worry too much about what other people think about you. Because if you do, you'll live your life to be a people pleaser. Learn from criticism. It's valuable. And sometimes people are very correct or they're half correct. And we can sharpen ourselves from that. But don't get caught up in what they think. Just because you succeed in high school doesn't mean you'll succeed in life. That's a quote from somebody in our church, by the way. Life takes some different twists than high school. Don't covet stuff and don't waste money on it. When you start a job and do not have all the skill level needed, at least be humble and willing to learn. This was some valuable advice. Look at your closest friends. This is who you are becoming. Be very cautious. You want to know who you are? Look at the friends you hang around. That's who you'll be. That's who you'll be. You won't discover who your friends are until you hit trouble, and then you might be surprised who your true friends really are. And then always, always, always be kind. I want to share one of the most important decisions that you have to make. As a matter of fact, that decision is already made. And that is where you spend eternity. It would be a wash for you to come in today and to not know this, so we always like to share this. Right now, where you're sitting, right now, if a stroke were to hit you or you were to pull out on North Franklin Street, heaven forbid, and a car would crash into the side of you and your life would be taken like that, and you closed your eyes in death, where would you go? Now, some people would say, well, you don't go anywhere. Well, here's the problem. God has said differently. God has said that life is short. It's like a vapor. But eternity is long. It never ends. And according to God's word, we will spend eternity in one place, either the presence of God in bliss, or we will spend Eternity in another place, listen carefully, the presence of God in punishment. Please don't ever say God is not in hell. Yes, he is. That's what makes hell, hell. But God's nature is in hell differently. It's there as punishment. And here's the reason. Because we have went through life and we have rejected the free gift of grace and salvation offered to us by Jesus. None of us are worthy. None of us are righteous. None of us deserve it. But God in His love and His mercy gave Jesus to die in our place for our sin on our behalf. To give us something we could never earn, His righteousness. And to give us eternal life if we believe on Him. You say, well, you mean to tell me that just believing something will determine someone's eternal destiny? Well, I didn't say that. Jesus did. Yeah. Believing in Jesus for eternal life determines your eternal destiny. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. Either God's telling the truth, or he's not. I'm going to put my faith and my trust in his word, that that is true. And that I need Jesus as my personal Savior, because I don't want to stand before God in my righteousness, because I don't have much. Ask my kids. But I do have the free gift of His righteousness, which is given to me freely. Nothing that I work for. The only thing I can do is believe on Him for eternal life and receive that free gift of salvation. And by grace, through faith, God will save my soul. And He'll do the same for you. And I hope and I pray with all of my might and my being that every graduate that we have here really knows Jesus. You've really believed on him for eternal life. And I hope that applies to everyone because it is the best gift God could ever give you. Wisdom is wonderful. Wisdom is a blessing. But wisdom without eternal life is very short-lived. To know Jesus is to know life eternal and I hope you know him this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word and the words of encouragement that we receive from your scripture today. I pray for each of these graduates, their family, and Father, I pray for every person here.